0: everybody and welcome to a tatter of fact here at the girls league studio in las vegas and we are going to get right into it because i got a super cool guest we have lily ma with us today hey lily hi guys how are you (laughs) i'm really great i am yeah just excited to be here well i'm excited to have you thank you for saying yes i know you're a busy girl and so uh, thank you for taking the time out of your day to do this with me. Yeah, I'm, I've, well, I look up to you.
1: I always have. I've taken all your courses in, when you did your, all your color correction. And so this is talking to you is just mind blowing right now. Just mind blowing. Well, I never know. even thought you would notice me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Are you kidding me? You're making me blush right now, Lily. I gotta have you, I gotta have you, I gotta fly you into Vegas. I gotta, I gotta have you around a little more often you're you're good for my ego um no no, that was really sweet of you to say it and it means a lot to me and i appreciate that an awful lot you and i i was well aware of who you were long before we met for mostly because you're talented right you're very very talented and i i peruse instagram and um even facebook still um, you know, just looking for you know, I, I like to I like to follow really talented artists. I admire young artists that are um, pushing the envelope and and doing really cool things. And you're one of those artists, so I definitely knew who you were. I was aware of your work, and then we met recently at the Vegas PMU mm-hmm. conference. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I went right yeah. up to you, and I'm like, Lily. <laughs> <laughs> Funny story is, I actually saw you
1: walking in at the Vegas PMU conference first on the first day, and I went up to you. I'm like, oh, Darren, oh my gosh. And then you're like, oh, hi. But I think you're busy because you're busy setting up your booth. <laughs> oh no. Did I blow you off? <laughs> Yeah, you're like, okay, bye. I'm busy. You're like
0: carrying all this stuff. Like, oh my gosh. I can't believe you're here. Yeah. Oh God, I'm so sorry. But I made up for it. I made up for did. it. Yeah. Yeah. We did a little funny thing. You did a little interview with me. Yeah. Remember? You want to know the craziest so- thing? Yeah, that was super cute. But anyway. Um, I think you're adorable. You're super sweet and very, very talented. So let's talk. I think, I think Mm -hmm. our listeners are going to really enjoy today. We're going to talk, you do nano brows. You're really super talented at doing hair stroke brows, which you like to refer to as the nano hair stroke brow. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So first let's just kind of let listeners know a little bit about you. You are Lily Ma and you are from Calgary, Canada, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How long have you yeah. been doing PMU, Lily? Yes.
1: Yeah, so my name is Lily. I am Permanent Beauty by Lily, and I've always started out with that name, and that was the name that I came up for myself eight years ago. So I've been doing permanent makeup for eight years, and uh, through the eight years, we have now established a training program where we teach beginners how to do permanent makeup and start out right away with a machine doing nano brows and combination brows and ombre brows learning all the fundamental techniques and then we also do services as well here in calgary alberta canada and uh, we offer those services as well so i offer them as well as um, three other technicians that also offer the nano brows and other uh, services at our studio and we also have an online store called The Brow Girls, and uh, we offer all the permanent makeup supplies that we love and use every single day that, uh, yeah, we truly believe in. And so I love this industry. It's it's just been so crazy for me. After eight years, I thought that in the beginning, I thought I would just be an artist. I thought I would just service clients and you know, just be an artist. I didn't know that I would venture into becoming an entrepreneur, starting my own academy, and having my own permanent makeup supplies as well. So um, this industry is amazing, and I don't know what else I can do, but I'm sure there's so much else more because I look up to you and what have you have done with everything, with your products and your online success and. And Taryn, you've been in the industry for, I don't even know how long, but way longer than I have. So I really
0: look up to you. Well, thank you. So yeah, you know, uh, congratulations on all your success and accomplishments. And I think that's one of the most beautiful <gasps> and magical things about, is that your doggy? <laughs> oh my God, sorry. He's just being so bratty.
1: One second. Okay. <laughs>
0: I have three dogs, so I know exactly what it's like. Oh, my
1: god. He, he just wants in or he
0: wants out. Just, oh, my god! Sorry. Okay. That's okay. Why are you keep barking? Uh, I got three of my own, so I know what it's like. But, I, you know, what What I was saying is I think that's one of the most beautiful and magical things about the permanent makeup industry is it's, is, it's limitless what we can do, right? Um there's no ceiling. It's fe- First, it's female-dominated, right? This is a female industry. Like 99.9% of, you know, the, we're female-dominated with, with some boys. And that's okay. We welcome boys. But I love that it's a female-dominated industry. And um, I love that there, it's, there's no, the sky's the limit. As long as you're not placing restrictions and limits on your own self then you can accomplish and acquire and do whatever you want in this industry, which is fantastic, you know, right?
1: Yeah. Absolutely. I I believe that. And and permanent makeup, like this industry is just like a baby industry in comparison to hair, where yeah. there's like big companies for like um, shampoos and you know, dyes and everything like that. Like permanent makeup is so tiny still. So there's still so much yeah. room for us to grow.
0: Exactly. It's still tiny. You know, and it's it's much larger, much more diverse when I started. You know, I started twenty two years ago and you know, where PMU was twenty two years ago compared to now is just worlds apart it's just amazing how much the industry has grown just in the time that i've been in it so imagine i i can't even imagine lily like where like how much more are we going to evolve what are machines are going to look like in 20 years like like how much more advanced can it get you know i think it's all fascinating and i'm really really excited to see all the uh, amazing things, you know, that happens for this industry, you know, in the next several years. But um, so how, so eight years, how did you come across PMU? Like, how did you find PMU? And why did you think PMU would be like, right for you? Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I found PMU because I had my own eyebrows done, microblading way. And it truly changed my life and I felt so much more confident because I had never had brows as in brow hair growing up. And so it's something that was super insecure about. And so when I had my, my microblading done, it totally changed my life. And so that's when I started to look into what is microblading? Like, how can I get into this industry? And because I've had a uh, a makeup background, so I was a makeup artist and I did makeup on a daily basis for people working at MAC Cosmetics, it kind of just goes with what I was doing already, you know, makeup, eyebrows, and I was already really good at filling in people's eyebrows already. So I ended up taking a program and I ended up doing it just kind of on a whim. And I started offering permanent makeup at home at my legal home studio. And uh, that's how it all began It's just, I started working from home, it was in my basement and I started to do client after client. And then at a blink of an eye, I think I was two years in, I was able to quit my full-time job. At that time I worked at MAC Cosmetics still. I also worked at a restaurant. So I had three jobs going on. I had MAC Cosmetics. Restaurant, and I was doing microblading on the side when I could, and then at two years in, I started to be able to quit and do every do permanent makeup full time, and then from there it just blew
0: up. I was booked out. Yeah,
1: yeah. (laughs) You know,
0: uh, we were talking about that earlier um, on an earlier podcast. It took you two years. You worked two jobs while you know, honing your skills and building a clientele. And we were just talking about that. That's the old school way. That's the old fashioned way. That's the way it is for everybody. And we were talking about how, um, you know, there's a lot of conversation going on right now in the industry on the Facebook boards. I mean, uh, one conversation, I think in a 24 hour period, it had like over 400 comments on it. It was crazy, but it was how, um, you know, PMU artists are being lured in to uh, trainings by the, the promise of a six figure income and and you know that carrot dangling you know of uh, fancy cars and wealth and a six figure income and how deceiving that is because it's that's not reality like it's difficult mm-hmm. right I mean mm-hmm. um, I I think it's difficult to build to hone your skills to to gain confidence. And uh, to build your portfolio and to build a clientele that's sustainable and that you can actually pay your bills, right? Um, it's difficult and it takes time. And I think a lot of um, people are, are jumping into PMU with this illusion that they're going to be making a six-figure income rather quickly. And it's easy mm-hmm. to do that. And it's not easy to do that. It is achievable, You know, it is achievable, Mm -hmm. we can do that, but it takes a lot of hard work and it takes time, Yeah, right? Would you agree with that?
1: Absolutely, I totally agree with that. It was not easy to build a clientele and... It wasn't necessarily luck. It was, you know, hard work. I had to advertise myself while I was at work and I would tell yeah. my coworkers, "Hey, I do brows. Like, look at my brows. You want this done?" You know, I was always talking about it even when I was filling in someone's uh, makeup in while I was at MAC Cosmetics cuz that was my other job. I'm like, "Hey, would you want this, you know, permanently yeah. or at least semi semi-permanently for, you know, to like roll, roll out of bed
0: looking like this?" <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly like
0: I, it took a lot of convincing yeah to like ask people to trust me I think and you could convince anybody to do anything Lily <laughs> you're so cute and you got a great <laughs> smile you just got that thing <laughs> I just love to do their eyebrows and, and I think they're
1: convinced after but yeah. know, it was difficult it was hard because I wasn't able to do it full-time I was working only on the weekends. And then I would be at Mac at the beginning of my day. So I'd start at 10 AM at Mac and then I'd get off at three and then I'd do a set of eyebrows at like four till seven or eight because at that time it took me extra long to do an appointment. It took me like five hours sometimes. Yeah, And so I was working like 12 hours a day trying to build my clientele. But that's,
0: that's what, that's what it takes. Right. To achieve mm-hmm. success. That's what it takes. It takes, it takes a uh, heart commitment and, you know, tenacity, discipline. Yeah. You got to be hungry and, you know, and, um, and you got to have expertise, you know, you, you've got to like build your skills and, and you've got, you, you got to show, you know, the people in your community, in your area that you're really good at what you do. Um, and and that, that takes time. So I'm really glad that we, we touched on that. Um, Mm -hmm. really super glad. So, Mm -hmm. so you started out with micro. you started out with microblading. I did. And then you crossed over into machine. I did. Do you still do microblading or did you completely put down the hand tool? I do not. I do not do microblading. I am terrible at microblading. (laughs) So I do not. (laughs) That's funny. That's funny. I love your. I love your transparency. <laughs> I tried to microblade twice because I wanted to feel. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was. I didn't like the noise it made in the skin. I was because I've been a machine girl my whole career, but, I'm. You know, I, I had to try it. I got on a couple of faces a few years back and I was like oh my god this is like so not for me the machine I'm definitely a machine girl (laughs) I know
1: it's just like oh it's so messy that's the thing with me it's just messy it's just like ink is everywhere if they have eyebrow hair it attaches to their eyebrow hair Yeah, too messy for me.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's not as versatile, right? It's like microblading, it, it's, 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 um, it limits like, like <laughs> your clientele. <laughs> I think it's, it's limiting. I, it's if you're going to do microblading, um, it's probably beneficial to go learn machine as well. So you can offer both microblading and like a powdered brow, shaded brow, ombre brow, if, Um, you know, the skin calls for it, not all skin types are are good candidates for microblading or or hair strokes, even if using the machine, Mm -hmm. you know? So, I mean, I think about half the skin types out there probably are better off with a shaded or powder brow versus a Mm -hmm. hair stroke, whether it's microblading or, you know, with a machine. Yeah, I think that's true.
1: And then a lot of people do get hung up on wanting hair strokes. And so we still do it, even if they're not the best candidate, because we can also shade it in the next time. Exactly. You can convert
0: them over, right? You say, see, I told (laughs) you so now (laughs) let's get you, now, you know, let's get you a powder brow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) so you have a business partner Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how long have you been in business with her? Yes, what's her so name? My you bus- give her
1: a my- shout out. Yes, my business partner is Amanda. And uh, we've been working together for five years. I hired her as an artist um, for five years. And then it was during COVID, we decided to start the Brow Girls, which is the distribution of products together. And okay. that's when we started. And so we had known each other for, I would say three and a half years until we started the brow girls, the product line.
0: Good for you. Um, mm-hmm. I like collaborating with other people. I own girls Inc with my wife Kat, but, mm-hmm. um, but in other projects, other areas I collab with trainers mm-hmm. and sometimes, ta- you know, and we, I have a product, I have a company called skinful beauty. I have two other partners Mm -hmm. there, you know, I've trained with, you know, me and Mary Richardson do a class together that's, you know, many years running and, you know, just lots of different collaborations. Um, And my collaborations always go really, really well. You know, I've never had Mm -hmm. any fallouts with any of my business partners. Um, And, you know, you know, when when you collab with somebody or go into business with somebody, um, you know, sometimes a lot of money is involved and yeah. you know over the years i've seen partnerships you know break down and um and, and and be destroyed over either money issues or jealousy you know you know sometimes even stupid things so mm-hmm. if there's listeners out there right now that are thinking about you know bringing in a partner or um, collabing, even even if it's not like a business partnership they're going to open up you know, a studio or open up a shop, maybe they're going to collab on a class or something yeah. like that. Um, what, how do you in your business partner maintain like healthy boundaries, a healthy relationship? And what would you recommend to others thinking that they're going to enter um, a partnership mm-hmm. with, with, with someone?
1: Well, honestly, I think as the person that's setting up the collaboration, as the leader of the collaboration, you, I would want to be super organized and know every single detail of exactly what you want to do. Right. So let's say, for instance, it's a class and you're looking to collaborate with someone and do like a 50 50 and teach a class together, but you guys don't have an actual business together, but just a class. I would want to lay out exactly what your duties are in this class and what her duties are in this class and basically just have everything super organized and laid out so that there, there is no miscommunication when it comes to like, you didn't do this, you were supposed to do that, I was expecting you to do this and, and so forth, right. So communication is key. And that organization um, is definitely key. And then for us, like having a contract um, in where it protects both of us, you know, a contract that is where it's a partnership contract, and it's, clearly labeled what is the money share in what we're going to share and gain off these profits so that there is no miscommunication again with money because a lot of times when it comes to collaborations i would say money is a big factor in why Mm -hmm. collaborations don't work and then the next one is Feeling like one person is doing more versus the other, yeah. and so these two factors, when you have the money all cleared up and you have who is doing what all cleared up, I feel like that makes the best type of collaborations. Yeah, what I, do you think? No,
0: I agree. I agree with you hundred percent. I'm a really good communicator, and I like to put everything yeah. out on the table and talk about every single aspect of a collaboration, or you know, mm-hmm. if, if, if it's a business and then a contract. For sure, even if it's yeah. your bestie, you've got to have a contract, like a legal contract. Maybe even get a lawyer and, you know, mm-hmm. have a contract. I think contract saves friendships and uh, relationships. So, yeah, and sometimes I think some people get a little uncomfortable because it's their friend. And so yeah. they don't, you know, they, they're, they're a little uncomfortable bringing up the fact, look, I want to do, you know, I know we're best friends, but I want to do a contract you know, that can be a little (laughs) uncomfortable, but if it's uncomfortable, then maybe you're not ready to go into business with somebody, right? Because you got to be able to separate the personal side of it, the friendship and and the love and the the BFF. You got to be able to put that to one side and separate. And then, and then you have the business side of it and you have to keep those two separate and being able to do that is difficult for some people. It gets all, you know, it overlaps and it gets all... Um, you know, concluded, you know, together and uh, and that can get messy. So yeah, I agree with you. Really clear communication an outline of what each other's responsibilities are. Outline the finances, how that's going to work and, you know, a contract and always maintain really good communication. Even if some, even if, you know, even if if a partner, like if I get pissed off, if if I'm upset about something, I want to communicate about it right away, not letting things fester. Like always yeah. keeping communication open and keeping communication going throughout the relationship. Absolutely. Yeah, right? I agree. And I would say that, you know,
1: with Amanda and I, Amanda's such a great business partner and and our personalities just mesh so well because we are both very logical and so when it comes to emotions the emotions is a little bit off to the side but we're more logical type of business people and thinkers so yeah um so it's in a sense it's easy for us to have these hard conversations because we don't have a lot of emotion attached to it we just need to Get to the point of the problem. What is the problem, and now we need to solve it. Yeah. And that's it, right? So I think like the right person does make a huge difference in that collaboration as well.
0: A hundred percent. Yeah, your personalities have to um, have to be compatible, and what you want, and your goals, and where you want it to take they have to be in alignment. And I I agree with you. I don't do well with hypersensitive and Uh, emotional people. Like I don't do well with people that are reactive, right? I'm not reactive. I can sit down and have a conversation about the toughest of things with my partners, Mm -hmm. with my team, you know, with my artists, um, without being reactive, you know? So yeah, Mm -hmm. people that are super reactive, you know, they, yeah, they... They make me a little uncomfortable, and I'm not going to collab with someone, you know, with, with that kind of personality. So yeah. you, you're right. Someone who's logical, sensible, maintains composure, and can talk about the most difficult of situations um, maturely, you know, with mm-hmm. with respect and 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 grace. Yeah, because those those points of contention are going to come up in a yeah. in a business relationship, right? They're going to come up. Um, just Mm -hmm. like a marriage, you know, like any other relationship, (laughs) you know, they're going to come up and how you address them um, will determine if it's going to be a successful partnership or, or not, you know? Yeah.
1: Communication is so key. And honestly, as being an only child, it's something that I constantly have to work on. It's not easy for me to be, Uh, around people, talking to people. I'm so used to my little sheltered self. So communication is always something that I, I don't know if other people have to work on, but I know for me, I have to read books on, I have to actually work on it. And so it's such an important part of being successful in your business. Yeah.
0: But you know what? I like how transparent you are. You're really candid and transparent about that. So I like that. It seems, it seems to me you have a really good insight of who you are, what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, what you have to work on, you know, and, you know, and I, I'd like to think that I have that same healthy insight and I'm able to look at myself objectively and where, you know, I'm strong and where maybe I'm, I'm, I'm weak and still need improvement. So I really like that about you, Lily, a lot. It's impressive. And you don't see that too often, you know, you really don't. Yeah. So I like mm-hmm. that. Um, so let's get back to brows. So you do the <laughs> nano brows. Okay. So let's talk about, so do you, what needle do you like to use?
1: Um, I kind of bounce
0: around with all types. Are you a single needle, needle
1: girl? I am a single needle girl. I am. And I've always used the One RL. And so now I'm trying to venture out into Megs so i'm trying to do a hair stroke with a mag oh and that is what i have started out with when i was first learning nanobrows i started out with mags um just a straight mag not a curved one and so that's what i started out with but i had the i had calgary's thickest hair strokes you have ever seen because I was not very good and I was first starting out and I was using a Meg and so add Calgary's thickest hair strokes you have ever seen and then I started to trickle down into a single needle so my favorite is always a 1RL 0.25 but different brands um, will be different in the thickness yeah. and the length, everything yeah. like
0: that. Yeah, of course, because you know in the needle industry, there's nothing really standard. Like you can have oh. like a point three zero, and five different brands. at point three zero might be a little bit different, mm-hmm. or, especially when it comes to tapers. Like there's really yeah. no set standard, you know, on on taper length or um, or you know a lot of the different. Uh, aspects of, of needles. So, um, so even when you're doing ombre brows, you're a single needle girl? I am, I use a 3RS or like a 5RS sometimes yeah. if the
1: skin is a little bit more complicated, okay. um, a little bit more textured, a little bit more sensitive, then I'll pull out my bigger shaders in order to compact that color and then I'll go in with my last layer on like some finishing details right. with a 1RL again. So how long mm-hmm. does it take you to do uh, a shaded brow? A shaded brow, yeah. um, probably around three and a half hours, still okay. including the mapping. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, the that's better than five. That's yeah. <laughs> better than five yeah, hours. Five. <laughs> I definitely moved up from being five hours to now three and a half. I'm pretty that's, happy at
0: three and a half. That's funny. <laughs> I think people, you know, because I'm a big needle girl. I do. I'm. I use mm-hmm. like seven and eight shaders. You know, and I never. Na- yeah. And I use mags a lot for all my areola work. My lip work, you know, when I was doing a lot of body tattooing, it was all mags. Um, Mm -hmm. But I I, I was never comfortable with a mag for eyebrows for whatever reason. I always liked the round. Yeah, I never never really, I don't know, I didn't feel very fluid with it uh, when it came to eyebrow work. Um, I always really liked the round, larger shader configurations for brows. I started Mm -hmm. on three liners. And then I moved up to mm-hmm. five round liners. And then maybe about my sixth year into PMU, um, I I moved over. You know, I got the nerve because I was scared to do it at first, but I got the nerve to move over into shaders. And I started with a five like shader. That. Yeah, now, like, pr- predominantly mostly eight shaders. You know, seven and eight shaders. Yeah, what I eight. Use. Yeah. Well, how long does it take you with an eight shader? To an hour a and a half. An hour and a half. Wow. Yeah, and that includes... Um, you know uh numbing time m- drawing yeah. mapping doing the pr- it's about 30 minutes of tattooing um oh yeah goodness. so about an hour and a half yeah but that shader that it's it is quick yeah. and it's quick because you know i'm not rushing or anything but it's quick yeah because of the mere fact it picks up and implants so much more pigment yes. than the yes. smaller needles that it gets me done quickly which is the upside to a bigger needle Mm -hmm. right implants a lot of pigment it gets the procedure done quickly it's a a Mm -hmm. fantastic choice for oily bleeding resistant skin you know the more pigment you can get in uh, on skin like that you know the better the better off you are But there's downsides to big needles, too. You know, you can't really get pixels with the big needles. And a lot of people like like pixels. Um, And you can oversaturate if you're not Mm. careful. So, you know, like on older skin or really dry skin, skin that takes pigment really good or maybe even a little too good, you have to be super careful if you're using a 7 or 8 shader because you could get a a too solid of a heel. You could get too much. Yeah. So... You How know, do you change your technique, then, I, based on... I dilute my pigment on skin like that. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah, right.
0: I, I will just dilute. So I, st- I don't jump down to a smaller needle. I will just mm. stop, and I'll dilute my pigment about 50-50. And, uh-huh. um, yeah, because on that skin type, if I go in with full-strength pigment with an eight shader on skin that takes really, really good, I could end up implanting too much pigment. So, yeah, yeah. So you have to be careful. There's there's the upside and downside to every single needle, every single technique, Mm -hmm. everything. Right. And it's just like, what do you want to deal with or not deal with? So I and every now Mm -hmm. and then, Lily, I love three shaders. I'll get a three shader out and I'll whip out like the bulb of a brow um, yeah. cause you can get some pretty good pixels with three shader, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, so yeah, I definitely get that out every now and then, but, um, I'm not <laughs> a single needle girl. I don't really, not. No, I'm really not. I think the smallest I'll go down to is about a three. So Yeah. Yeah
1: be a single needle person, you have to have a lot of patience. And sometimes I don't even have that type of patience. Yeah. To shade a large brow with a single needle. I'm like,
0: oh my gosh, when is this going to be done? Yeah. Yeah. You definitely got to have to have a lot of patience for for sure. It's a certain type of personality that enjoys sitting there for three and a half hours, four hours with a single needle. When you know, when you know, (laughs) you can just pop up that needle, put in an eight shader and finish it up and get down to the the bar and have a margarita
1: (laughs) in an hour. That's how I feel about lips, actually, because lips are so much more volume and so different than brows. I feel that I am there for way too long. I don't have the patience for it sometimes. I'm just like, oh, I just need to get this finished. (laughs) So are
0: you experimenting
1: with bigger needles for your lips? I have, but I didn't, I don't know, maybe I'm not doing it correctly, but I wasn't a fan of the healed results with a mag for the lips, so that's why i stuck to one. All right,
0: try, try like a 14 shader. 14 shader? Yeah, try a 14 shader. Some people don't, they just don't vibe well with like a mag, you know, but, um, but if you want to like keep trying, you know, with a, with a larger needle... Um, especially for larger lips, right? Um, Yeah, like a 14 shader. Some people, I'll I'll get people, people that are struggling with the mag on lips, I'll I'll, I'll suggest they um, jump over and and try like a 14 shader and and try that. And some do really, really well with it. I have an artist here who did not, was not doing well with the mag at all. And so Mm -hmm. I brought in a 14 shader and she took to it very quickly. and And all her lip work now is with a 14 shader. And so she gets, but she still likes to do some lips with a single. It just kind of depends. She likes to bounce back and forth. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's some lips that are just so easy to do with a single needle. And then there's some that just does not
0: want to take pigment. Yeah. So I'm going to have to try that. And I think, um, would you agree, you're you're a single needle girl. So would you agree like clients that want like a lipstick look, they want a lot of color. That is really difficult Achieve with a single needle. I think the single needle delivers and achieves like the the blush look, the tint look, yeah. beautifully. But I don't know how well the single needle is to get like that lipstick look. I don't even know if you can. You know, it might be multiple sessions. I'm not really sure. You would have to go pretty bright. I believe in color. Yeah, and then
1: at least two sessions. At least two. Le- two sessions. Yeah. Get that look. Right. Yeah. So with big needles, mm, you can get
0: that look, you know, rather quickly and rather easily. But mm-hmm. on the flip side, if you want a tint or a blush, you've got to dilute the pigment. Oh, I see. You see? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So, yeah. It's kind of interesting, right? It's it's fun. Yeah. Um, you know, all the different ways, you know, artists can work and get to... Mm-hmm. Um, the same beautiful results, you know, with different tools, different yeah. techniques. Okay, so you, so you use Li, and mm-hmm. you, so you use Aqua, you use Monica, and I think you're, yeah. and you carry Monica's pigments on on your store, right? I do. Um, yes. So. They are iron oxides. So let's talk about the term, all right? I was, I was yeah. picking at, poking at you a little bit uh, before we started the <laughs> podcast. So when you, so, you know, Monica Vanni's pigments, aqua, uh, velvet, mm-hmm. they are what most artists in the industry refer to as iron oxides. Yes. But when you're talking to a chemist, right? Because I talk to uh-huh. the chemist at LI uh, quite often. And most chemists refer to iron oxides as inorganics. So there's organics and inorganics. And most chemists do refer to them as an inorganic. They don't really say iron oxide. They say inorganic. But us artists say iron oxides, predominantly. Some say, use the term inorganic, but mostly I see them saying um, iron oxides. But you... And a few others I've been noticing lately. I see this new term for iron oxides mm. and organics popping up, uh, mineral, mineral pigments. Yeah. So I'm just, and it's, and it's not wrong, um, I'm just curious, like where, where did that term pop up from? Like who started using that and where did that term pop up from?
1: If <laughs> you want my honest answer, I actually don't know where it came from, but I was doing a Q&A on my Instagram story and people just kept asking about mineral pigments. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, let me figure out what this mineral pigment everyone is talking about because I always called it iron oxide. I've learned that term from you, from other people, yeah. from using yeah. LI pigments. It's always been called iron oxide. But yes, I had to learn myself and start googling. that people are calling it mineral as well. Mineral
0: as and well. And inorganic. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going to have to get to the bottom of this and, and and find out where that came from, like who started that.
1: <laughs> no, it's like people maybe are just so scared of iron oxide pigments because of over the years maybe some people didn't know how to use them Yeah. on certain types and so colors were shifting to not unwanted colors on certain skin types and i think even for myself i made that same mistake but now using li pigments for so long and really going through that research and figuring out who is right for what color, I'm getting such beautiful results yeah. with my iron oxide slash mineral pigments. Yeah,
0: no, I love that you say that because me too, you know, I've been using Li Aqua and I use predominantly, we came out with an organic line about four years ago, okay. Loaded. So we have like an iron oxide line and we have, you know, Aqua and we have, and Monica's is- Monica's pigments are, you know, predominantly iron oxide as well. And then we have Loaded, which is organic and I think yeah. that's, what's not being like really talked about is when is it, when is, you know, when a client is going to do better, right. With an iron oxide and when a pigment, you know, maybe is going to, uh, when a, a client might do better or just as well with, um, an organic pigment. Cause I, I think, I think iron oxides do much better. They're more stable. They age better. They're going to do better with the majority of skin types. And I think mm-hmm. organics are a little bit more limited. Um, yeah, I do. I really, really do. And and, and LI, we have both, you know, we yeah. have both organic and iron oxides. And you, you do mm-hmm. learn that the hard way. Through, oh, yes, we sure do. Right? <laughs> we really, really do. But... So, yeah, I like that term, you know, so we got minerals. I, well, it was like, you know, a lot of young artists, you know, when the industry started getting younger, when I started, Lily, the average age was like 45 years old entering permanent makeup. Oh yeah. yeah, you know, and now it's like 21 or 22, you know, now we got young people entering PMU. So it's a much younger industry and it's worldwide now, you know, because of the internet, yeah. you know, it's just, it's just growing, growing, you know, really fast. and It's really evolving and, you know, I mean, we've seen needles, you know, new names being designated to needles. Like it was never called a nano needle. You just called it a point two five. Mm-hmm. right? So, yeah. you know, we're seeing all these new terms enter our industry. So yeah, I just thought that was interesting. You know, the mineral pigment. So I like it. I'm okay with the term it mineral pigments. Yeah. Look, if you're cool- It's actually very
1: interesting because like you said, the younger crowd, they actually have no idea what iron oxide is and what LI pigments is. Really? They actually only know carbon and they only know organic pigments. They don't actually, some people don't actually know that there is another option, which right. is super interesting. Now, as we're teaching more and more and that younger crowd, we're getting, you know, in Canada, it's 18. So we have 18-year-olds coming in to take our class and they don't even know that there is such thing as iron oxide pigments.
0: Right. And that's sad because I think both are equally uh, as uh, valuable and important to the artist and to the work, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Very Mm -hmm. much so. There are definitely some skin types that are not going to do well with an organic. That organic pigment Mm -hmm. has a high propensity to heal gray or turn gray, you know, like on the ruddy. In your opinion, what skin type? Like ruddy. Like re- like mm-hmm. skin that has a high propensity of pulling gray, like the yeah. ruddy skin types, um, mm-hmm. those skin types that are really super pink, sun-damaged skin, mm-hmm. you know, those skin types yeah. that really pull gray, they ash out pigments. Um, I would never use an organic on those skin types. And I, I make an organic. We make an organic. Um yeah and and that's due to the carbon in used yeah. in organic pigments you know so mm-hmm. if you're using a bl- uh, like a blonde or a mid-tone color that has no carb, you know black in it then you're probably okay but when you're getting into like some of these midtones or darker pigments where now they have black carbon in them to get them that mm-hmm. dark Um, No, I would never use those on those skin types that pull gray. I am absolutely going to use an iron oxide, you know. Um, And I don't, I'm not really comfortable using organics on really young clients. Because those organics Mm -hmm. have a propensity to maybe stay too long. (laughs) Too long. And young people change their mind a lot. They change their style. Mm -hmm. They change their mind. You know, um, and so I'm more prone to use an iron oxide that's going to leave the skin in two or three years on someone really, really young rather than mm-hmm. an organic that might last too long for someone mm-hmm. really, really young. So I probably use iron oxides probably 70% at the time, and I use mm-hmm. organics probably 30% at the time mm-hmm. in, in my yeah, own Yeah, I love that. I love yeah. that.
1: And it is true because I do have a lot of the younger clientele and now the brows are changing, you know, brows are becoming thinner. People want higher up tails, like yes. more upturned, more yeah. straight. Yeah. And the, the brows that I had tattooed with carbon two, three years ago, they don't want those tails anymore. And they're kind of stuck with that.
0: They're stuck and with that. So, That's right. Yeah. That's right. They're stuck with that. But, you know, and, and it's going to take, You know, because you're in that younger generation, right? You're you're a part Mm -hmm. of that, Um, and it's gonna it's and so it's gonna take you and a lot of you know uh, really good artists and educators in that that age group, you know, to educate. You know, don't be afraid of organics and don't discount organics, but don't be afraid of you know mineral pigments and discount them. The artist needs both in order to do. Really good work and, and their best work on on all the different clients that, that come to them, right? That's how I feel. Absolutely. That's how I've always felt. I've never been one or the other. Um, yeah. I think there's, you know, a, a face and a place, I like to say, for organics and for iron oxides. So I love mm-hmm. that you're talking about it and you're educating. Um, educating. I, you know... I you know I'm a little I I do get asked to collab. I'm not like a part of like the young generation, but they know who I am and and I communicate with them and I have fun with them online and you know sometimes I get asked to do lives and so I feel that um I'm I feel that I'm relative to the young artists, right? I don't think they see me as you know, ah, she's an old veteran and she's like bitter <laughs> and she's like too set in her ways. I don't think they yeah. see me like that, you know? Which no. is cool, you know? Yeah. And to stay young, hip and fresh, I mean you gotta know all these new terms, <laughs> Lily. You know? All these new terms every day. Yeah. And I'm still getting yeah, you with know? These new terms yeah. All the time. yeah. So I want to be <laughs> young, hip and fresh for a long time. So I have to stay up but on yeah. all these new terms and I gotta hang out with you and young artists, <laughs> right? For sure. Lily can hang out with us anytime. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. So why? So you think it's important for beginners starting out learning PMU <laughs> yeah. to work with uh, mineral pigments. Can you explain why, why you feel that way? Absolutely. And
1: in our classes, we predominantly are teaching our beginner students. That's what we are aiming to teach as beginners. And so what I have learned through that process is that As a beginner, you are not usually very secure with yourself about eyebrow mapping right off the bat. That's just not something that is going to come to you right away. And so working with carbon is very dangerous for someone who is not secure with eyebrow shaping. They're not very confident with eyebrow mapping and they can't get both of the brows even right away. And for me, that didn't happen for me starting out with pmu i didn't get perfectly symmetrical brows until two three years in so that says a lot right and then when you're using carbon pigments as a beginner depth you can really see inconsistent depth right away if we just accidentally go too deep with the needle you can see a dot of where the needle entered into the skin and then the pigment pulled right into that spot so you can see inconsistencies with your healed results you get dottiness unevenness patchiness and if the mapping was not correct maybe they're too thick we really can't do anything about it after the two months after they heal it is kind of set in stone so even as a trainer when just, just even thinking about it, thinking about how my beginners are going to bring these photos back to me as in they need my help, they need my support, they did something that they didn't know this was going to happen and stuff. And just seeing all that, I'm just like, oh my goodness, why, why, why? Just start out with iron oxide, start out with the LI pigments and you bypass all these mistakes right away. And right. one of it is that If we're inconsistent in depth, it doesn't show as much with LI pigments. Right. You're not going to see the patchiness and unevenness as much. You will see it sometimes, but not as much. Um, The second thing is it fades. So there were so many times when I first started, doing permanent makeup where I got so hung up on one hair stroke that was slightly outside the shape that just kind of pulled the shape in a different way. And then I just stared at it. And I was like, what am I going to do? Like, I can't get this out right away. But then I, I like lose sleep over it. I'm just like the, the client didn't really notice, but I noticed, Right. right? That's how it is sometimes. And so they come back after a month or so and guess what? with iron oxide inks it's gone that piece that i thought i made a mistake on but i didn't just i didn't do a second pass over that hair stroke because i knew i didn't like it and it disappeared and I just did a second pass over all the ones I did like. So that's the thing about working with iron oxide is that if you know how to work with it, if you do two passes over every single hair stroke on the ones you do like, and if you made a mistake on the one and you just don't really like the angle of right. it or it's slightly outside the shape, just don't do a second pass and most likely it's going to disappear. It's just way easier to work with when it comes to making mistakes, which is the number one thing that our students are scared of is making a mistake. Right. And when you make a mistake with iron oxide, it is way less of a mistake than it is with carbon.
0: Yeah. Iron oxides are more forgiving, more forgiving. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one, like, what is a little maybe um, more beneficial for the iron oxide is they're great for the beginner. Like, I, I agree yeah. with you. I think beginners uh, should start out with an iron oxide, but also the very advanced artists, you know, mm-hmm. Aqua and, and uh, Monica Vani's, Jen Boyd's, all, all those, you know, made by LI, mm-hmm. also are high performance mineral pigments that many super talented and advanced artists are, are using. So um, yeah, iron oxides, all levels, no matter if you're a beginner, intermediate, or advanced and mm-hmm. super skilled, you know, a really good iron oxide line is is you know going to work really well with you no matter where you are in your skill level where an organic yeah more more you got to get through that beginner period and i agree with you 100 percent especially on depth (laughs) depth and placement you know we've seen some blurred hair strokes you know because you know they're using organics and they're going too deep and you know it's supposed to be hair strokes but you know they come in for removal And I'm like, you know, and they're explaining this was supposed to be a hair stroke eyebrow, but it's solid, you know, and you can tell it was organic. You know, I can tell by the, you can tell it was organic that it, that it actually, the, the strokes, you know, migrated and blurred either, either because they went too deep or Mm -hmm. they put strokes on, you know, someone with large pores, you know, really oily Mm -hmm. and textured and that, that type of skin alone will blur a stroke right you it's 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 like almost impossible to get a super fine crisp stroke on that oily textured skin um yeah so or or both so yeah no i so thank you for for pointing that out um you all that's why i feel like even in our classes we always teach the
1: difference between using and organic and inorganic pigment we always we don't say that you have to use this one and this is it this is the only one you can use because we want to educate our students on what is the benefits of using this pigment line which is inorganic and what is the benefits of using a carbon line which is this or this type of pigment line right and what are the pros and the cons so that they can make the decisions themselves as well and later down the road they can use a carbon line when they feel more confident. And carbon line is really great for cover-ups. If you're doing a cover-up, sometimes inorganic is just not enough to cover up what was underneath. Right. So sometimes a carbon line is really needed.
0: Yeah, and I, I sometimes I'll pull out an organic when like I have skin that's just really resistant. It's just not taking well. <laughs> you know, it's oily and it's just not taking, it's not accepting pigment well. You know I'll stop and I'll get something from the loaded line I'll move over to an organic and sometimes yeah. that's super helpful right so mm-hmm. but I but you're right you know you bring up a good point that we need to start and it, and it starts with like people like you and your, your generation um, educating the young artists and and getting them to be thinkers thinkers like, to, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, I, I feel that too many people in this industry don't want to think, you know, it's mm-hmm. like if you if you if you're going to learn how to fix cars, be a mechanic, you know, you have to go to school and, you know, and learn all the all these aspects of, you know, the engine and why this and why that, you know, same with PMU, you know, I, that's what I want to see for this young generation of artists and for the PMU industry as a whole to be thinkers and to really understand organics and iron oxides or minerals, and mm-hmm. on once, and on what skin type is it is it going to be most ideal to use one or the other? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And and same like with with needles and you know machines and just all the different aspects of, uh, of PMU because too many people are not they're not not thinking and they're not learning they're just using what's um they're just using either what their trainer you know told them to use so i like that you're teaching them both causing them Mm -hmm. to have to learn both and to start thinking right from the get-go um Mm -hmm. or they're using um you know what's what's out there in marketing right because you know some of the brands have you know big you know marketing budgets and and they're more visible and, and 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 some you know don't and so Yeah, so I I like that. I like that. Um, And I think, yeah, it's totally,
1: it's kind of unfortunate because there's a lot of people that do really great work, but then don't educate their students in what is, like, the difference between the two different types of ink and, like, how are you supposed to work with this versus this? Because when I'm working with organic, I'm saturating less, right? I don't want full saturation when I'm working with organic carbon type of pigments. So I need to teach my students that. And then if I was to work with inorganic, I have to saturate more in order for the healed result to still be there. So just getting our students and our, you know, the younger audience or whoever's learning who's a beginner to really understand, like, there what you see on Instagram is not really what is real life, yeah, you know?
0: yeah, we talked about that earlier on on a podcast it's 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 like la la land, everything's filtered, <laughs> you know, everything is so filtered and photoshopped, and it's just you know it's just not it's not real life, like what really goes on in a procedure room for artists on a daily basis, right, mm-hmm. you know, so. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So you also think, um, it's important for brows to be, to fade. What about 50%? That was one of the things I think you wanted to talk about why it's important for brows to be uh, 50% faded. Yes. That's correct.
1: Um, Well, with hair strokes, especially the base has to be light in order for us to use the same color again for that annual touch up. That's just kind of how it is. So what I was, uh, I had used LI pigments in the beginning of my career. And then I started to use carbon pigments the last three years and what I was starting to notice was that I was using carbon pigments the same way that I was using or um, iron oxide pigments. So what I was doing was I was oversaturating with my carbon because I was not taught properly how carbon pigments were gonna heal. Mm-hmm. I didn't know I had to under saturate for carbon pigments for it to heal the same way as my iron oxides. I didn't know that there was no formal education that I knew of, that talked about exactly how to use carbon pigments. Everyone had to figure it out on their own. So what was generally happening was that I was saturating my hair strokes the exact same way that I was using, that I was doing with my iron oxides. And what ended up happening was two years later, they'd come back and their hair strokes are fully saturated still, as in they're fully there, they didn't, sh- they didn't fade. The only thing that happened was they turned gray. Right. And at that <laughs> point, like the shape is still there. The hair strokes are still there. It's just gray. Now what do we do, right? Now, now they're you, fully
0: saturated. Yeah, so now you have to color correct your own work, right? Exactly, yeah.
1: fixing, fixing, fixing all right. the time, time. And, and that was just so difficult as a artist, because now we have to figure out new ways in what are we going to do to fix and make this client happy again, because gray brows is not ideal. And what I was starting to notice with some of my clients was that blondes, especially for blonde clients, it didn't matter their skin type. If they had blonde hair, their eyebrows were fading darker rather than lighter. And that was a huge problem for us, both our pigments that we had been using uh, that were carbon. And so now we learn through experience that if someone's blonde, I am not gonna be pulling out my carbon pigment because as it fades, it fades more gray and gray looks darker, especially for blonde clients. Yeah, And so now we are pulling out our iron oxide pigments, especially when it comes to blondes, because um, yeah, it's just fading darker. And so, like you said, your question was, do you wait till they're faded? The answer is yes, because with iron oxide pigments, they fade within that one to two year range. They fade at least 50%. And so the color is 50% lighter. And so when they come back at that one year, I can actually take the exact same color that we had done before and tattoo it right over top. And it's going to make a difference because the base is lighter, right. but when the base is not light enough and the base is same, is the same color as the target color, what ends up happening is that when I tattoo the two on top of each other is that it, does, it just expands. It doesn't make the hair stroke more crisp. It doesn't make it darker. It just expands in size and then eventually so, they just turn to a powder brow. Uh, yeah, I
0: was gonna say the, the stroke starts to get a little bit wider and more blurry, correct? Mm hmm. Yeah, exactly.
1: If the base is not light enough. Right, right.
0: Yeah, that's really Mm -hmm. interesting. And you had to go through all these struggles all on your own (laughs) through experience, through Through experience,
1: yes and that's why we do teach with you know or inorganic i mean sorry um iron oxide pigments we teach with them because even as an experienced artist now i still use the monica ivani pigments i love them they heal amazing they work great and then i'll use some of the Um, un-gray or the gray vanish from the LI line to Mm -hmm. kind of mix in, to make it warmer because some of her pigments are quite ash. Right. And so that makes it that variety of colors that I have that are a little bit more warm. And yeah, even as a seasoned artist, all our artists now
0: use the Monica Ivani pigments. Yeah, that's awesome. We did that. Those are great, great, great colors, great pigments. They're super popular. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's great. They uh, are very popular. I know, I know. I use them from time to time. But I'm such a, um, I, you know, you get stuck on colors. Like, I have my colors from the Aqua line. Like, oh, my God, I would just die without them. I can't, I can't not use them. Uh, What's your favorite colors? <clears throat> classic brown. Four mm-hmm. shizzle. Oh, my God. I love my two favorite colors, I could probably, if I could only pick two colors in the aqua line, yeah. it would be Beautiful Blonde and Classic Brown. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, Beautiful Blonde yeah. is like a, it's like a warm, but not too warm. It's just a little, like, right of neutral, like a little warm. And, but it's, yeah. it's like a deeper blonde, a little bit of darker, deeper blonde. and It's really opaque, and I love it. And then Classic Brown, it's not medium. It's darker than a medium, but it's not super dark. And mm-hmm. <clears throat> both are beautiful by themselves. But when I take those two colors and I start mixing them in different percentages, mm-hmm. I get all these in-between, like, tones. Yeah, I yeah. just I just love those two colors. I love mixing them, and yeah. But I love those two I colors. I love Beautiful
1: Blonde, too. I love Beautiful uh,
0: yeah. Blonde. Yeah. It is great. It is yeah. great. And I'm a big taupe girl. I do a lot of, you know, older ladies, Lily. So um, <laughs> I got to have a good taupe. So I like yeah. I like the aqua taupe. Um, what other color do I like? Oh, I like hazelnut. I'm a big hazelnut oh, girl. Yeah. That's a good color. And I like um, ebony. I really like ebony brown for like my, my darker ebony, ladies. Ebony, yeah. yeah. I like I, ebony. When I get really dark. So, yeah. And I've been using them for years and years and years and years. Years and years. But, um, you know, but we, we developed a loaded line and I started out on actually organics in the beginning of my career and oh. yeah, I did. And for the first, like, like three or four years, I used all organics. And then I started like you did, you know, I started learning. I just started seeing like organics, like turning, you know, gray rather quickly on certain skin types, not, not on every skin type and not in every situation, but Um, and, and I just started like writing notes and, and just, you know, gathering data. And, um, and then I started learning, I took a color theory class and I learned about iron oxides and, um, and it was a great class and it was a class that didn't, you know, put down organics or put down iron oxides. It was a class that really educated you on both And the value, yeah, and the value of both. So I was really lucky to have that education early on in my career, and I and I. That's when I started using Li, and I got some, um, you know, some iron oxides and and whatnot. And I've been using both iron oxides and organics, you know, ever ever since. So Mm -hmm. yeah, so yeah, so I. You got really lucky because you're the one who you know brought
1: iron oxide pigments to light for me like to go through your color theory course and just the way you described ruddy skin i was like mind blown yeah
0: wouldn't you say would you say that ruddy skin and that super pink maybe they're not quite ruddy but my gosh they're so pink right they're usually fits one fits twos and that ruddy skin type those are the most challenging color wise those are yeah. the most challenging oh my gosh because they pull so much gray it's like they just add it's like squeezing gray into your pigment cap right that's how i describe it that's a good way to describe it yeah yeah so they yeah. really i love it yeah I, I you know i think they put a lot of stress on pigments they they, they challenge our our pigments and so you know you gotta you know you gotta know you gotta know color theory you gotta know when to use modifiers when to add a little yellow when to add a little warmth when not to mm-hmm. you know because we went through this period where when microblading first hit what ten years ago eight, eight years ago um, everybody was getting gray you know they were so afraid of the gray that yeah um, all the trainers were teaching students put a bunch of ungray in your pigment cap. Uh, So we were seeing people using 50% target color, 50% ungray. And so of course, yeah. And so we went through this epidemic where everything was healing and turning orange. And of course, you know, LI got blamed. And this was the first time we ever saw orange results in LI in in the 25 year history of LI. And we were like, what is going on? You know, all of a yeah. sudden we're seeing all this orange and we figured out it was just um, you know, in all the trainings, yeah, so you don't get gray, add a bunch of orange. And and of course, that's you know, not all skin types need orange and certainly yeah. no skin type needs 50% orange, you know, unless you're correcting <laughs> <laughs> unless you're correcting an existing blue or gray eyebrow. So we had to start yeah. re-educating you know, the industry on that, like stop abusing orange, stop abusing the warmth. (laughs) You know, you guys are like obsessed with it and you're like way overusing it. So um, yeah, I, you know, not everybody agrees with me and that's okay, but I always kind of took the opinion that I'd rather add less warmth. I always try to nail it, right? I always like you and everybody else, I want to nail my color. So when I see them at the follow-up, I don't have to adjust nothing. I nailed it. I'm super proud. It's like yes, I nailed it. I write it right in my notes exactly what I used on them, so I know for next time. But if I'm going to be off a little bit, right? If I'm working on somebody ruddy or somebody that's got some sun damage, and I think they're going to pull ash, and mm. I have I have to add some um, gray vanish or, or ungray, I don't want to mm. add too much. I think the I think it's better to have it heal maybe not as rich as you wanted, maybe a little ashy and have to add more at the follow-up, then add too much at the initial procedure and then have your brows heal orange. That's oh, okay. the, and, and some people don't agree. Some people are opposite. Some people think, no, I'd rather my brows heal too warm and then I have to tone it down, tone down the warmth. Mm. But in order to tone down warmth... You have to introduce a brand, a whole brand new color, green, green, right? You have to introduce a whole brand new color to the equation, green. So the way, you know, I'm super analytical and I'm such a thinker. So I don't think we're better off having to introduce another whole color to the equation. So I am of the opinion, I'd rather, I didn't add enough warmth and at the follow-up, no, they're not gray, but maybe a little, ashy. I want them a little, yeah. I wish they healed a little richer. I look at my notes and I'll add a little bit more warmth than I did at the initial procedure. And then they heal mm-hmm. nice and rich and exactly what I wanted. That's how mm-hmm. I like to work. But, mm-hmm. you know, like, like I said, some, some people like to work the opposite. And I don't think any, any ways, you know, one way is, you know, right or wrong. It's just which way works best for you
1: yeah and how much
0: would you add for your first time trying it out a drop two drops well you know rule of thumb is you never add more than five percent of your total mixture right mm-hmm. so in so you never want your total color you like your total color you never want your war modifier to be more more than five percent of that total color so when i'm okay. working on super ruddy skin. Like if I'm looking at something, I'm like, oh my gosh, this lady is going to pull gray. She's got Mm -hmm. bad, like she's really super cool. Like sun damage, ruddy, pink, you know the type. (laughs) Yes. Um, Yes. I'm probably, you know, I'm going to add about 5% warmth to my target color, to my target color. Um, I have so many cases where, you know, I'll look at them. I'm like, yeah, I think they're going to ash out my pigment a little bit, but they're not super cool. Maybe they're a level one, not a level three when it comes to coolness. And so I'll add like a drop. Um, sometimes it's just a toothpick. You know, I'll stick a toothpick in like some warm modifier and then mix that into my cap because I just want like, like a, the tiniest bit of warmth added. So okay. yep. yeah, I, I use the warmth more sparingly. Because I don't want it, I don't want my brows healing orange or healing too yeah. warm.
1: Yeah. Do you think that, that iron oxide
0: heals warmer? Um, I, not necessarily, right? And I think that's the big myth. I think I, there's lots, there's lots of different iron oxide lines out there, right? And mm-hmm. red ore uh, is, is, an, is an iron oxide. Red ore is used in iron oxides. So when people say, yeah, iron oxides turn red, that might be yeah. true for some lines. It depends mm-hmm. on how much red ore they're, they're putting into their formulations. It depends on the type of red oxide, you know, red ore. There's a super high quality, and then there's super low quality colorants, right? Um, yeah. So no, I, I have never ever had LI age red. I just never have. Yeah. Have I had clients, you know, in when I see them in three or four years that the brow is faded and it's a little warm? Yeah. I've also had brows faded and where it's a little ashy. Yeah. You, you know, I've seen both with L.I., but what I have never seen is any extremes. I've never seen okay. extreme gray with my own work. Uh-huh. I've never seen yeah. extreme warmth with my own work. I've never had mm-hmm. the extremes, and I think that's because I know the line so well, and yeah. I'm, I'm cautious with, with warm modifiers, I really understand skin, and, yeah. um, and I can formulate and custom mix my color pretty accurately. So mm-hmm. I don't think there's one pigment line, LI included, that's a perfect line, and that is going to age absolutely perfect all the time on everybody. You know, um, yeah. no, no one can say that about any line because there's so many outside variables, right? There's the skin, there's lifetime, lifestyle factors is what they're doing uh, to the procedure. There's health, there's stress, there's medications. There's just so many things, Lily, that affect the, the aging of, of that brow. Um, and of course, uh, the factor is the quality of the pigment, you know, the quality of, yeah. of the pigment. You know, I know L.I. I know, I know the women who own L.I. I know, I know, you know, Darlene and Mattia. And I know how they make those pigments. And I know the colorants that they use and, um, and how much they, they care. And I, they've been working 30 years to create a perfect line, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. um, but, I, I, you know, no matter what line you use, even a high-quality line, there's going to be some clients where the brow faded to an off-color right? It, it faded and it's a little ash. It faded and maybe it's a little warm, but we really shouldn't see extremes. We really shouldn't. Mm-hmm. It, you know, if you're seeing extremes, then s- something in the equation's not quite right there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So it could be you're using it on the wrong skin type.
0: Yeah, it could be you're using it on the wrong skin type. It could be you're adding too much modifier, right? Um, you yeah. know, things like that, you know, um, yeah. And, and sometimes it's not even us or the pigment. I think sometimes it can be clients, you know, um, yeah. you know, skin's a living, breathing, you know, organism thing. And you, you uh, there's just so many variables and so many things that probably we'll never know or never be able to figure out, right. We can look at a client and go, man, I don't understand why. You know, you're, you're you know, you, you dot all your eyes and cross all your Ts, and you're like, I don't understand why she aged a little ash or you know, aged this yeah. way. You when 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 you know, so many others that use the same pigment on you know, did not age that way. They aged yeah. beautiful and they aged very stable. So yeah. you know, that's that's the part of PMU I think that we don't like. We want we want predictability, right? and some and and sometimes we just we we there's not that there, we can predict our results i think to a, a certain degree with education and knowing when to use when but um but there's always going to be that you know when when you know something throws you a curveball and just aged a little off color and you don't know why
1: yeah that's true there's not always an explanation for the colors
0: no there's there's certainly not, there's certainly not. But mm-hmm. I think if like 90% of your brows are aging, really stable, and they're staying on color, and they're just a lighter version of what you implanted yeah. a couple of years ago, I think, you know, I think then you're right there, you know, then you understand your pigment line, you know your colors, and those are really high percentages. And I don't know if they get any higher than that, right? I, I think at least mm-hmm. about 10% of the time, that's probably a pretty accurate percentage for me and what I see here at Girls Inc. We're going to see a little bit of off-coloring as the brows age. But mm-hmm. we don't see extremes, and I don't think we should be seeing extremes, like like bright orange or like like battleship grays and, you know, these super extremes. If that's happening to you and it's happening a lot, then I think you need to take a look at, you know, how you're working, your technique, maybe the pigment line you're using, the type of pigment you're using, and, you know, the skins you're using them on, you know? Mm, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. So
1: what's that? Sorry, I I was just going to ask you, do you think there's enough
0: education out there on who to use these pigments on? No, I don't. I think we're just starting to talk about that right? I think Mm -hmm. we're just Mm -hmm. now starting to talk about that. But no, I don't. You know, I think, I think I always have. Um, I think LI always, you know, always has. Um, But no, a lot of the other brands, you know, some brands only have an organic line. Mm -hmm. So so no, I I, I just don't. I, I don't think I don't think there's enough education on that subject in, in particular. And I think there needs to yeah. be more of it, right? Yeah, I think there absolutely. needs to be more of it. Um, you know, there, I think there used to be a nice balance between organics and iron oxides in the industry, you know. And yeah. then, you know, organics kind of, blew, you know, right, kind of took over the industry, you know, a, a few years ago, like, you know, five, yeah. five years ago or so. And then the industry got obsessed with, you know, organics. Um, and, and it, but it takes a while, Lily, you know, I mean, they, you know, you know, like we have loaded and we have people misusing loaded. Do you know, you know, they're putting loaded, you know, which is an organic color on skin types they shouldn't be, or they're beginners. And, you know, so we try to educate, you know, because we offer both, we get asked that a lot. You know, I do this and this Mm -hmm. and this, you know, I've been doing it six months, you know, which line should I use? So, you know, we educate when when they come to us, but no, I think it's lacking education, but you know, it's getting better. Yeah. You know, Yeah,
1: definitely. I agree. Yeah. It's definitely, it's, there's just a
0: lot lacking. There's a lot (laughs) lacking, (laughs) but I see it starting to be talked about now, right? I see it starting to be talked about you know, in the mm-hmm. Facebook groups, you know, on mm. some of the, uh, Instagram lives I've watched the, the past few months. Um, I did a podcast with a young artist and, and that's yeah. what she wanted to talk about, you know, organics and iron oxides and, you know, when to use one and when not to use one, because she was going through the same thing with you. She hopped on the organic, you know, uh, bandwagon and was putting organics on every single client and she, had, yeah. and she had to stop you know, after about three mm-hmm. years of doing that, she noticed, you know, was experiencing like the same things you were and started doing some, you know, um, rethinking and, um, and went back to an iron oxide la- la- line. You know, and now she uses yeah. both and has a better understanding on when to use an organic and when to use an iron oxide. Yeah.
1: And I just think that it's a little bit sad that we have to
0: wait three years to, to know. Right. (laughs) I know. I know. I know. Well, I have a color theory course. Probably the one you took was my older version. Um, Yeah. Yeah. The one
1: I took was you doing it live.
0: Oh, that was the live one. Okay. Well, I got yeah, a brand new one.
1: Live. I was live.
0: You know I did those live color. Oh my god. Oh my god. They were like those 8 seem hours like a long. Lot of work. They were a lot those of work, eight Lily. 8
1: hours. Of you talking? Yeah, and
0: then someone one day was like, it was like 8 or 9 hours. And then someone one day was yeah. like, why don't you just record it? And I'm like, duh, why, why don't I? <laughs> so I did. But it's about 5 years old, right? Four, five, well, 5 years old. And it's all still relative and, um, you know, incorrect scientific information. But the last, you know, six months I've been working on refreshing it. So I've got, I wouldn't say a brand new course, but a new, improved, really refreshed course coming. And um, probably it will be ready in six weeks. It's almost ready. Oh I'm so excited. Yes. And I do on a whole chapter talk about iron oxides versus organics and uh-huh. um, the benefits of one, the downside you know, the benefits of each one, the downsides of each one, yeah. when it's gonna be best to use one or the other, you know, really honest, really transparent, really scientific, you know, based on science, based on results. Um mm-hmm and based on talking to lots of artists that have experienced the same thing you have with iron oxides and organics. Yes. Yeah. So I think, yes. so hopefully that will be really helpful and get more people talking, you know, about it and educating about it. Yeah. I, that'd be
1: amazing. I would love to refer my students to that program. Well, I feel like I'm going to, would- yeah, when oh, it's ready, education. I'm going
0: to upload you. I'm going to say, I'm going to, I'll have Olivia hook you up and we'll get you on the course and you can take it. And, uh, yeah, so I think I think that yeah, was super I love helpful. That. I love that. That's
1: so amazing. And now your courses are always full of science information, everything. <laughs> you got everything. You got the background. You got the
0: science to go with it. So, <laughs> I uh, I know it's gonna be a great one. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. So hey, it's been about an has it been about an hour? Oh, oh right. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I know. So. Yeah. So, hey, I want to thank you. This was a great conversation. It was a great conversation about hair strokes, right? Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. Pigments and all kinds of business partners. I think think our listeners are going to really, really like this podcast and get a lot of really great educational nuggets out of it. For sure. Mm -hmm. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I love it. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so, like overwhelmed with everything that you gave me all the information too i feel like i learned so much through this
0: podcast as well well that just shows you you know just conversation right just back and forth Mm -hmm. even if you do things differently even if maybe you don't agree on some things right just Mm -hmm. you know just you know graceful respectful mature conversation back and forth um yeah is great for, it's really healthy for the artist, and it's really healthy for the industry.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I think we can always learn something from each other, even if we do different techniques, different needles, different everything, but there's always something we can learn that's new and that we can improve
0: on. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. I agree with that. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. So thanks, thanks, for, thanks for hanging out with me today. I really appreciate it. Yes.
1: Thank you for inviting me. I'm so excited. I can't wait to to see you again. Hopefully sometime in Vegas, I guess.
0: Yes, I hope so. Well, we'll be, I think we'll, yeah, we will be at the Vegas PMU conference and I think you're going to be there, aren't you? I don't think not this year. Not Not this this year? year. (laughs) We're
1: going to another one. Yeah. Okay.
0: Okay. Well, well.
1: soon. Somewhere I'm sure.
0: I will see you, Lily, Ma. Mm-hmm. <laughs> keep up the good work. Thank you. Keep educating, keep inspiring, and keep doing you. I think you're awesome. Oh,
1: thank you so much.
0: Oh, I need to take a selfie. You
1: gonna take a selfie? <laughs> I need to take a picture of you. I'm okay, gonna take a picture
0: together. <laughs> okay, there we go. All right. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Okay, don't go oh, anywhere. Hang on. Don't oh, go okay. anywhere. Okay. Thank you, listeners, for hanging out with us today. That was Lily Ma. Lots of great stuff. And we will see you next time on A Tatter of Fact.